What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-owned podcast on the internet. I'm Rope. And I'm Savannah. And today we are continuing our listener slice of life stories with a special guest from Somalia. Her name is Maya, and she's going to discuss her background, some of the cultural pressures and expectations put on Somali women and her FDS journey within that context. So welcome, Maya. Welcome, Maya. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's just jump right in. Talk about your upbringing and how it relates to your FDS journey. Because we love a good origin story. We love a good origin story. Of course. Like, <laughs> what's your villain origin story? Because everyone acts like FDS is just something that comes out of thin air because we're all like bitter. But I'm like, no, we looked around and realized the system wasn't set up for us to be successful. So Somalia is a very conservative, very Muslim country. And it is basically very, very much, there's just a lot of oppression going on here. And it is the country that has the highest FGM rates in the entire world with a 97% of, you know, FGM happening here. And for people, sorry, let's intro it for people who don't know what this is. Although I'm sure our listenership does know, but FGM, short for female genital mutilation, it's a type of, quote, female circumcision where they give you a clitorectomy. Yeah, it's divided into four different types, and they are severe from each other. Some of them are less severe than the others. But over here, in older women, the most common form is type 1, I think. And it is basically the most severe one. Okay, sorry. And not to get too gruesome, I didn't know there were different types. So is this something you feel comfortable discussing? Yeah. Okay. Different types. Let me just get the definition here. (laughs) So it has four different types of FGM. And the first type is usually known as the pharaonic. That's what they call it. It is basically what happens is the clit is removed and also the inner lips are removed and also everything is sewed together so that it only leaves a small hole at the bottom for menstruation to come out of and urine as well. So that is the most severe type and is, you know, type one. The different type is type two could be where they remove the clitoris and inner lips, but they do not do the sewing. And the less severe form, which is type three, is when they remove the hood of the clit, but not the clit itself. So it is more of a hoodectomy, and that is the less severe form. And there are, like, the last one is one that is not very general. So it could be a little bits of each of them mixed. So that's what they're divided to. So what's the rationale behind this? Because I've heard a couple of different things, but I thought it'd be good to talk to someone who is immersed in the culture. What's the history and the logic? Oh, so the point, the essence behind it is controlling women's sexuality. So when women get sued up, men brag about, you know, how that woman cannot go have sex without, you know, having to go to a doctor to open it first or how she can't masturbate because also, you know, he would not want her to have that. And third is for him to have power that he can experience, you know, ejaculation and orgasms, but she can't. So that's also like a a mental power dynamic that exists that, that, you know, so he can be like, I'm better. I experience more in life than you do and I control it. And also it means it just leaves the purpose of reproduction because the woman can only give birth missing every other part of her vulva. She's missing every other part except for the actual 
vaginal hole for penetration and for giving birth. That is so fucked up. And sorry, is this something that is done automatically at birth or is it something that the family decide or is it done a few months after birth? That's a very good question. So it's done when you're older. So it's done when you're like around 10, like before you like fully hit puberty. Really? Yeah, not at birth. And the severe form that is usually done in the countryside, what they do is they hold down the child that is getting mutilated so they do not resist and then they perform it. And then what they do is they get a rope and they tie their legs together and they have to stay seated in that same position for seven days until the sewing is all healed up so it doesn't open up easily. And a lot of younger girls, a lot of children get severe septic shocks and infections up immediately from that point and they end up dying. Because I imagine as well, like out in the village, in African villages, there's not like sanitation or sterilization. I'm not excusing FGM, but just thinking about the process. And again, I'm not saying it will be any better if it was done at birth, but a 10 year old, you will remember that pain and that trauma. Even not at 10, a lot of them get it done at 12, at 9, at 8. And there is no any anesthesia included in this process for the uh, children. And also, in the villages, in African villages, you know, they don't have access to any, like, incision equipment. What they use is basically, like, uh, the roots of plants, which is really Yeah, blunt. they use something. Yeah. yeah they use something rudimentary. Every time I think I want to, you know, maybe have a little bit of sympathy for men and just be a little bit more reasonable, I hear something like this and I'm like, no, keep our boots on these fuckers' necks every single day. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make it my personal mission in life to make sure males don't succeed at anything. I don't want them to have power of any kind. Well, this is a good example in this country where men have the utmost power. It's a very good example for women in Western countries to observe and see what would men do if they had all the power. And what they would exactly do is what they do here, because this is the perfect environment for that. I mean, there's some element of that here too, but I think that we sort of uh, compartmentalize it. I mean, in fact, there is a couple of documentaries about like music festivals that got out of control and then all these like mass rapes happened. Like there was Woodstock and another one called Freaknik. And so like the men here will act barbaric and do things like that when there's like a slight breakdown in social order. A slight, in a second, they have to like take advantage of that immediately. Um, the second part of uh, Savannah's question was, is it automatic? And yes, it is automatic. You are not safe from it unless, you know, your family is a very highly educated family or, you know, that your parents know that, you know, the danger of it. But unless you are not, then that's why it is so common. But the common aspect, the one that is the most done to, you know, younger women is the less severe form which I'm kind of, you know, glad about. I'm not glad about any of it. I'm struggling because I'm really trying to... Um, yeah, I'm so sorry. It's, it's, I just didn't recognize how graphic it would have gone. And like, I'm getting emotional just speaking about it. I'm really sorry. Yeah, it's fine. I was hoping not to make you uncomfortable talking about it, but it, it is important. No, it's fine. I'm good. We have to get this message across. And it just... To pivot slightly, it makes me so angry hearing that because I will admit I was ignorant about FGM. I thought it was something that was done at birth 
to young, you know, female babies. Obviously, that wouldn't make it any better. But what you've described is just so much more horrific. And it just makes me even more angry when you see men comparing FGM to circumcision. And it's like, unfortunately, you can still have an orgasm. Unfortunately, in most cases, you don't remember the pain of circumcision because it's normally done, you know, when the male child is a fetus. I know there's debates on either side as to whether circumcision is okay, but it's nowhere. It isn't FGM. It isn't comparable at all. And the fact that men use it is just for them to promote the side of men's, you know, comparing their issues with women's issues so they can take it away from us. Yeah, I mean, men like to make false equivalences in order to make themselves victims of things that are often perpetuated by them in the first place, right? Like a lot of male circumcision is obviously like a traditional religious thing when it came from Judaism, but they also still do it because of like lowers their risk of infection. It lowers their risk of infecting their partners and it's skin, right? Essentially like... It is skin. It's not an organ. Exactly. So quite a bit of a difference. And it's also done for different reasons. They're not doing it to like control men and like make them subjugated to anything like that. It's just like both a cleanliness thing and a lower infection rate thing, as well as like for some people who are part of the Jewish religious or religious thing. But I'm like, I might be way off, but I just have a feeling that like thousands of years ago, Jewish people figured out that like they could lower the infection transmission rates, especially like STIs and UTIs and all sorts of like bacterial infections that would be transmitted from men to women by like circumcising men because you can like because if you don't clean your foreskin then you can get all sorts of gunk and shit in there and then it can infect women right so i just have like when i look at like (laughs) circumcision (laughs) and i think of like male circumcision it seems to seem to serve a much more practical purpose whereas like female circumcision is just like a barbaric thing to subjugate women and make sure that they don't experience happiness and pleasure whereas like for male circumcision it's just because they're actually fucking gross and you need to make sure that they don't infect like the women in their life with whatever shit they have like taking residence in their foreskin so (laughs) basically smegma and what have you (laughs) those pathogens in their foreskin (laughs) yeah so it happens in so many different you know, African countries. And I want to mention one more horrific example, which is Sudan. So in Sudan, a lot of women also get FGM. And the difference between that and, you know, the FGM done here is in Somali women, they usually go to a hospital so they can have it like undone before they get married. So like when they get married, that's when they go to the hospital, get it removed because, you know, they can't actually have sex with you know anyone with that state but in sudan what they do is the man has to open it himself he has to do it by penetration which has caused so much more death in sudan i want to come up with a biological weapon that just affects the y chromosome this is one of those times where i wish i had majored in biology because i would just try to get gain of function research that I could just like strategically release on a male population and be like, you know, I don't think, I think it's over for them. And <laughs> I just need to start over. Cause <laughs> I just can't comprehend just how mean it is. Just evil. So just it is extremely evil. mean. And you know what? In Sudan, it means basically it's a masculinity thing where a man, you know, gets the right to brag about it. And what they do is even after they give birth to their first child, you have the little, you know, 40 days 
after you give birth and you know you're still bleeding and everything and you know your family can come over take care of you because uh, no man wants to take care of any woman because why would he do that so after that they pressure their wives to get a new fgm so that's also a real thing that a lot of you know women in sudan are facing oh my gosh this is like small dick energy on steroids it's just like the mind of a depraved man because i always whenever you hear stuff like that that just gets passed down for thousands of years or what have you you know it was like one sociopathic asshole who just infected the population with his disgusting controlling nasty ways and then it's just become like a thing that people keep doing because they don't realize that i guess they shouldn't or i don't know right what disrupts that kind of long-standing tradition it just comes to the point where women just have enough or they find some way to have power or they realize like oh not all women are getting their clits chopped off oh this mean this is like actually an optional thing it is organized organized targeted patriarchal crime I know there's a lot of like awareness now in the West about this practice. What's been your experience with Westerners' perception of it and what Westerners can actually do? Because I always feel somewhat impotent to do anything. Like I live obviously in the States. And so when I hear these things happening to women all over the world, I'm like, what do I do? Like try to raise money? Do we try to find like an underground network or? So already here, even it started here, like the people who advocate for FGM to be known about are women because men here are still fighting women in talking about this because men are thinking, why would they want to spread this? And, you know, why would they want to stop this? You know, because again, this is benefiting them. So I feel like in Western countries, even if, oh, I'm not sure, this is kind of me. What's even a bigger problem is that a lot of people in the West deny sex-based oppression and I'm just going crazy yeah, that's not mean. That's fair. How could you deny that's that fair. when we are the living example of if you were born here and you were born male, none of that would happen to you. But if you just happen to be born female, then you could never escape that. In my opinion, having been in some of these circles, it's like it's a sort of benevolent racism where they feel like they can kind of compartmentalize this stuff to the brown countries and not realizing that like it's not that these guys are necessarily brown. It's a cultural thing. And if you don't watch for these types of things in your own culture, men will find a way to make it happen, right? There's a big discussion right now about some of the medical practices they're using to transition girls from uh, female to male when it comes to like transgender identity. And there's been a huge controversy in the States because there's been people who've been whistleblowing and saying like these doctors are pushing these girls through to go through and get mastectomies to try to do get skin grafts, get fake penises, to go on hormones that'll destroy their ability to, I mean, self-regulate their hormones, like they'll shrink their ovaries, it'll cause all sorts of long-term problems. And it's being given to them because they'll be like, oh, I, I'm a woman who feels uncomfortable in my body. And then the medical industry would be like, you should transition to a man. So like stuff like this keeps happening in like different forms where women's bodies get highly politicized. Instead of making society better for women to exist, what they do is they try to create some external mechanism to justify why this person needs like some kind of medical in intervention and quite frankly, mutilation of their bodies to exist in a world that's really built for men. So like a lot of people here wouldn't see that as like sexism. They wouldn't see that as sex-based depression. They would look at that and be like, well, we want to support who people who are trans, et cetera. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying that there's clearly for there to be such an explosion of girls who are 
suddenly deciding that they're actually men because they feel uncomfortable in their bodies, that perhaps that's it's not just a matter of gender dysphoria, that there's other cultural pressures there. Yeah, if women here could have that choice, well, I can assure you that 90% of women here would have transitioned as well. You know, if they had that choice, because why would anyone want to be oppressed here, you know? So it just seems like people are trying to escape the oppression in a style, you know, instead of facing it and seeing how, I don't know. So I think that's all I have about FGM, but I could add an answer to the last question. You know, I would want, you know, people to have more awareness about FGM. I want it to be more spoken about. I don't want it to be censored. I want it to be discussed for all of it, different types and to actually see the numbers of people affected, you know, women affected by it. Because a lot of people just tend to think that, you know, the only thing we face as, you know, developing countries or third world countries are, you know, that capitalism and, you know, the different economy and just, you know, our struggle with education and all of these other things, which are, which are all very important. But also there is a horrible problem of extreme misogyny happening here. And I just wanted to be known and spoken about more. Could you give us some other examples of the misogyny in Somalia? Because when I, again, talk to Western feminists sometimes, I don't think they fully understand, you know, that misogyny can and does represent differently, especially in parts of Africa where it is such a patriarchal society. Like, you know, I know we say that the world is patriarchal, but it's a different level in Africa, a completely different level. And they're so overt about it as well. So can you give some examples that are specific to Somalia outside of FGM? And especially even some, for example, dating, you know, marriage examples as well. So a good one, a very good prominent example here is, I think it affects many different countries as well because of the religion. So this one is divorce, for example. So when a woman gets married, so we have the Islamic marriage, the nikah. So, you know, when women get married, a lot of men try to get women purposefully pregnant after their nikah so that the woman can denounce her rights to a wedding party and that he wouldn't have to spend money on the party and invitations. Wow. Yes. So that's one thing. Also, the dowry... A lot of men are pressuring more and more women to not receive dowry. So dowry itself is, you know, very much, it's a little bit problematic in a sense, but it would work well if women actually received it, but they don't. So they get promised and a lot of them agree with the promise, but they don't actually ask for it in gold or in money or in cash. Yeah, I think we spoke about this, Maya, actually, because we have dowries in the Yoruba culture as well. And in the rise of the Pikmism, I guess, you also have some women, you know, some Nigerian female celebrities, they've resorted to paying for their own dowry or bride price, as we call it, because, you know, their partner's just broke. And, you know, the weird thing is over there as well, is that if the dowry is low or it's rubbish, that reflects badly on the bride and not the groom. Because it's seen as like, oh, she's clearly not worth a lot if he's not willing to pay when actually there's all these sorts of factors, you know, such as the ones you've just mentioned. And also the fact that some women are now resorting because they want to get married to just paying their own dowry. Yes. If that woman gets divorced, the woman who gets her dowry, if she gets divorced, 
and she's the one who's asking for divorce, she has to return every penny of it. Oh, we do a no refund policy. So we have a 100% guarantee, a refund guarantee policy. If the marriage fails, we 100% guarantee you won't get it back. At least my family don't do refunds. We've never been in that situation. But yeah, you're right. Some cultures do. Do have to refund it. So this is more of a religious. It's the pressure of the religion because you cannot just stand against the religion here because it will cost you even more. And the thing is, this is a very important point. When a man refuses to give this woman her divorce because he's the one who controls giving the divorce here, the woman is affected because, you know, polygamy is legal here. So the man can just go remarry and continue his life. But as long as that woman is married to him, she cannot go and remarry anyone else. So she has to say, I no longer want the dowry. I want divorce. And that's the only condition that he will divorce her for her not to get paid. And she has to return the money. So legally here, women can't raise their children if they remarry. The court takes them away from them. What? They literally take your children away? Yes, if you remarry. And they say if you do not remarry and you are just raising the, you know, your ex-husband's children, then you know it's fine. You can keep them. But also a lot of men, they leave children with women and when these kids grow up and they are more like independent around 15 and 16, they take these children away from women and there is no law against it. I'm trying to process this right now. So it's like anything that would help you live an independent life, they have predicted and made laws against. So if you need to leave an abusive man, you have to pay your dowry back. So you don't have any money to leave. If you try to get remarried and be supported by another man, they'll take your children away. Absolutely. And the divorce proceedings are so difficult, purposefully difficult. So when the woman goes to the court and she is asking for a divorce, already the, the dowry is out of there, you know, if she asked for it. But if she said, I don't want any money, I just want to get divorced, the court will return her for the first maybe 15 times. And I'm not saying this number lightly. They return women and tell them they should go and think about their decision because the man testified and said, oh, I still want to be married to my wife. So because he said that, she gets returned around 20 times or some crazy number goes and then she has to return after all of this and keep asking for this divorce to eventually get it when she gets it if they have kids she has to ask for child support and if she remarries he's not going to support her or her children anymore and some of them quit their jobs out of spite of not giving their wives child support I have firsthand experience with that aspect of it. And maybe one day I'll talk about it on the pod, but my father was very much spiteful like that. Like, you're just going to stifle your own career so you don't have to pay child support. All right. But a lot of men will do that shit. So that's just... Yeah, it is basically, it's a man's utopia. It's basically what happens when a man... <laughs> this seems like a wet dream of a man, this entire country. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do I say this? The thing about it is that when men do things like this, they inadvertently stifle their own country's productivity, growth, health, everything. So this is why I don't think men should have power because like they're not good at it, right? Like everything that we have that's pretty like good and functional, like you might say 
okay, men have been innovative, men have like created a lot of the like technologies out there. But truthfully, they did it on the backs of female oppression. And when they stopped, or like at least lessened it, I should say, like we were able to experience exponential amounts of productivity, growth, happiness, wealth in the country. Like, and to the extent that we tip the scales in men's favor in any type of system, communism or capitalism or socialism, what have you, it ends up stifling everything that's good about living in a society. <laughs> right? Not just for women, but really for everybody. Like women directly, like women always feel it first or a minority group within that country feels it as well. But then eventually it comes for everybody, right? You can't really like compartmentalize oppression in the way that a lot of people believe it can be done. You can't be like, oh, well, we're just going to be nasty to this individual tribe and we're just going to treat women like this. Like it's something that once you kind of allow sociopaths like that to be emboldened, they don't really stop at one person. They don't have an off switch. So I guess I'm just saying it's for everyone's benefit for us to make sure that men don't thrive. Um, (laughs) I agree 100%. With all of this power that they've given themselves in this country, their rates of education is still the lowest. And women had no access to education. Women my mother's age and my grandma's age, none of them had any access to any sort of education. They were men made sure that the only people who studied were men. So they can, you know, further keep the power dynamic going. So now I feel like maybe the 90s, like women who were born in the 90s are the first generation of women who are actually learning and studying and going to schools. And even with that, women are still you know, excelling at school and they all have multiple degrees and they are also hardworking. And all of these men with all of this power dynamics that they made for themselves, they are still shit, basically. Worldwide, that's happening. It's not even just your country. Worldwide, women are outperforming men academically. Like as soon as they let their oppression up a little bit, like gave us a little bit of opportunity, we just surpassed them. And it's just, again, I think... The myth of male genius is just wildly overblown. I think there's like a few guys that are very smart and then a bunch of guys who are just like standing around a circle, digging in their own asshole and smelling it and who honestly are and filling prisons and making the rest of us miserable. And that's why I feel like them saying that men deserve to be empowered based on a few, a select few of men who are extraordinarily talented and ignoring the fact that the average man is probably crap and the average woman is probably a lot more industrious and intelligent. It's just a way for them to justify overall oppression and stifle growth. It's the myth of representation. They make sure that, you know, all smart men represent them and they make sure that women have the worst type of representation. So this can happen in the form of proverbs. So there are so many old cultural proverbs that talk about women should not have friends. You know, your friends will try and ruin your household. And, you know, they will try and ruin your marriage. And it's just a tactic of them trying to overcome women becoming, you know, friends and close to each other so they can help each other out because they are terrified of women forming, you know, like becoming so, so, uh, what's the word? Like self-sufficient or solidarity? Yes. Yeah. Because I've always said that's one of the biggest threats to patriarchy is, you know, women developing a strong sense of class solidarity. And that is one thing I've said this on my on my Twitter recently is that that is one thing that women can potentially take from men is that sense of, you know, class solidarity, just 
you may not agree with a woman, you may not understand where she's coming from, but when it comes to us being able to liberate ourselves, us being able to survive in this patriarchy, we just need to have each other's backs more. And men know this. And this is why they are so invested in sowing seeds of division, in creating a hierarchy of women. And unfortunately, we are socialized into falling for it. Like I'm sure, again, in African cultures, like, you know, you have the women who are like, you know, growing up, I used to hear, you know, suitable for marriage types of women, and then the whores. And then this sort of dichotomy around women is pushed in the cinema as well, where you have, you know, the village girl who hasn't got much life experience, she's a perfect wife. And then you have the city girl who dares to have friends and go out, you know, she's a terrible wife. If you ever watch, you know, Nigerian Hollywood, you'll just see the misogyny. It's so overt that it's laughable, but it's not because these beliefs are so internalized. Yes. You've seen Nollywood. I've seen many movies from Nollywood. <laughs> and when you watch it, you would think these are cartoonishly, you know, evil plants. And there's no way it happens in real life. But then I wish It's up, true. It's actually it, true. It's actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, that's my hope for patriarchy. And in a way, I'm sort of, I'm not glad that these men are trying to sow division but at the same time, it just goes to show that they are scared of female solidarity, which is why women, we need to prioritize it above anything else. This is why Somali women, one of their major resilient points, even though within all of this oppression, comes in the form that they are very much, they form, you know, a lot of tight knit groups. And it is basically originally made it so they can survive financial abuse because Men have all the money because he has all of the education. He is, you know, the top of the head of the family and he can easily control and manipulate and harm this woman. So, you know, their neighbors and their cousins, they would get together and come up with ways for this woman to save money. And when they save this money, you know, she would keep it hidden from her husband and then it would basically come to like help her in the future. So that's one of the ways that women here are coping in the face of this oppression and men hate it. So they start by saying, oh, from, you know, like they use religion to dispute this. So you would hear the imams talking about how, yeah, women sitting together is never good. When women sit together, they can only talk about bad things. Make sure women never sit together. And it's like in public, in public, you hear this and it just shows that they are afraid. They're terrified. Yeah. I'm going to piss off a lot of religious people here, but I feel like half the Bible is just like incel rantings and half of, like, the, other, it is. <laughs> half of the ancient religious text is just like incel rantings. The thing is, is like, there's like a lot of interspersed good lessons, but over the years, most of these religious texts have been edited by whoever was in power at the time. For example, like the canonical King James version of the Bible, there's a lot of books that they left out that had like more female empowerment messages that had been part of the culture, but they felt like, you know, weren't appropriate for the Bible. But then they'll just spend, they'll let like Paul have just like a bunch of different, different chapters where he talks about all the way women are unclean and whatnot. Like, you know, sometimes it's just a little bit frustrating because you have to remember the context in which it was written and this is why fundamentalist uh, religious people are sometimes the worst misogynists. They are. Um, so when you think about religion, the first thing I would I started thinking about it, you know, growing up was why does it happen that every single thing that you know our religious leaders are preaching just happen to benefit men? 
but not us? So that was the first question I started asking. I think I was like maybe five years old when I noticed this. And then it wasn't just me, but it was a lot of my friends and, you know, my siblings and I. And, you know, the only time that, you know, these men preach anything about it is when they are saying, oh, you know, you should marry as much women as you want, you know, because you're obviously this legal here. And they are like, yeah, you don't have to give them equal amounts of money, even though that's what religion says. You know, a good woman will stay with you through, you know, even if you had money or you, even if you didn't. And then these women end up having to work low paying jobs because they are uneducated. And it just keeps harming women. And these men keep preaching about it because, you know, again, this serves them. So they're like, if women work and they go outside, that means they are meeting a lot of men. They are seeing the world. Your wife is going to be different. She's going to start acting different if she gets a job. If she goes outside, you don't know who she's talking to. You don't know what goes in her mind. But if she's sitting at home and the only person that she sees is you, then, you know, you can maintain control. So keep your wives and women at home. Don't let your daughters out. So this is something that I actively speak against. This is literally the plot line of so many Nollywood films. Like, literally the plot line. Yes, I know. <laughs> and then they start saying she's behaving wayward just because she wants to go out with her friends. And again, we laugh, but it's really insidious messaging. And a lot of these African men, they internalize that message and actively seek to ensure that their wife stays at home and doesn't go out and doesn't have friends and, you know, remains in the village, you know, doesn't pursue education because she will come across these different perspectives. Absolutely. And education opens up doors for women. Women, when they get educated, they start thinking and asking questions and they want to know yes. more and they are terrified of that. So this is also another way of them just oppressing women further, controlling even our thoughts, even what we think. So they were like, even men who uh, work in the libraries, they were like, oh yeah, well, whenever women come to me and they ask for a book, I tell them I don't have it, but I tell them that a cooking book is on discount. Ah, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there's a reason why, you know, I always like to say that a lot of women seem to believe that their liberation and ability to thrive in patriarchy will come by the way they look. So if they're conventionally attractive, but it's like, you know, there's a reason why makeup has existed probably since the beginning of humanity in some form, but women have been barred and are still barred from accessing education. Like men fear an educated woman a lot more than a beautiful woman. Definitely. Why and do you think it's makeup so affordable, but education is extremely expensive? Yes. yes, it's so expensive. And women are still, you know, directly and indirectly, you know, prevented from accessing education. Remember in the Bible, Eve ate from the tree of knowledge. And that was the original sin. And that basically sent her to hell. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it is very deeply ingrained in the male psyche that women having any type of access to education is some kind of evil to them. <laughs> like it is, it's maybe like the original incel paranoia. Like if I had to list like the things incels are paranoid about, it's like women knowing things is probably number one. How dare you have thoughts? So, you know, the Somali scrotes, they cope different. So what they do even now when they saw that women are seeking education to battle and fight financial abuse, they started thinking, okay, okay, if my wife is working, then all of her money is mine. So they started implementing, you know, 50-50 lifestyle on women who are raising children alone, working full time, 
in their homes, like as housewives. And then they made them go outside and do work so they can also take their money. And it's because how dare you say that you want to work and become independent. If you want to get education, if you want to go to school and dare to, you know, learn, then, you know, you're not going to be sitting at home. You know, you're not going to be having to do nothing. You're going to have to go divide money with me, (laughs) like finances. Yeah, they want to keep us as like a slave class. They're perfectly fine with that. Yeah. It's a frustrating thing because I don't know how to say this without sounding a certain way, but okay. Tribalism to a certain extent makes sense, even though it's not a thing that we like strive to implement in the sense of like racism and et cetera is an extension of being of uh, one group of people who believe one thing or look a certain way being against another group of people who look one way and act a certain way. Right. What I don't understand is doing this to like your daughters, sisters, mothers, lovers, people who are within your culture that you purport to love. And the only reason they do it is because we're actually women, right? And so it's very frustrating to see like the duality. And this is why like it doesn't benefit. It benefits like no one really to be racist, but especially not women, because it's not as if like any culture that has like this intense kind of tribalism, it doesn't tend to just stay confined to other cultures. Once again, I keep saying this, like eventually it does hit women the hardest, right? In various forms. It's just kind of wild to me to other people who are so intimately connected to you. But again, that's just, I guess, the human condition and an ugly part of humanity. Men care more about what benefits them. So the only thing all these men have in common, whether they're in America, whether they are in Somalia or in China or, I don't know, the, the end of the world, what they maintain is what is benefiting them. And that comes to them first instead of their children, their you know daughters or wives or their mothers. And it is that very, very deep solidarity that men have in maintaining order that I guess pushes them to keep doing this further. Yes, yeah, audacity, self-serving first and foremost. <laughs> so I kind of want to like, hopefully make this conversation a bit less heavy. So for you personally, and then maybe culturally, like, how do you feel it's possible to implement any type of FDS strategy within the cultural context that you live in? Okay, so the first steps are, the only ways we usually can have and maintain power here is we don't really have to sleep with men. And which is a very good, you know, it works kind of here, because the men also don't expect you to sleep with them. And you can just find out the type of person he is by, you know, talking to this man for years, if you like, just investigating, you know, doing all this vetting and you can take your time without him having to pressure you into anything. And it gives women here, you know, some time to just check on this person. So that's also like a, an FDS strategy that works better <laughs> here. And also by literally making them pay for everything by financially, you know, draining them. That's the only way. Make his pockets here. hurt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask for a crazy amount of dowry. And also a lot of a good way women here do is they ask their husbands to buy them gold. So Somali women enjoy gold and they love gold. And Gold is nice because, you know, this men are stupid. They don't think like it's actually worth, worth like <laughs> actual money they dump. So they would like be like, I would want to give you gold, but I don't want to give you a house. 
because they think you know a house is bigger than gold or like you know the woman would eventually take the house or something so we make them you know buy us a shit ton of gold and also just drain his pockets for the rest of his life until the day he dies and like make sure he leaves a lot of things for you written under your name <laughs> leave him a, a hollowed out husk of a carcass make sure he's working oh they work they really do and they have to come on after all of this oppression one of the <laughs> only ways it's to expensive actually... <laughs> to oppress it's expensive to oppress yes it's expensive because he has to pay for it he has to spend a lot of money so that's one way we kind of cope here is by you know even if he's your boyfriend even if you're not married to him these men still spend crazy amount of money on their girlfriends like the girls here they ask them for laptops they ask them for gold. They ask them for travel tickets. They ask them for new mobile phones. And then they sell the new mobile phones from one of their boyfriends. They make sure they speak to 16 different men and take something from each and every one of them. That's the way to do it. May the best scammer win because there's just no reason in any way, shape or form to engage them in good faith. No, because they don't have good intentions towards us. So why would we? And I love that about Somali women. They really take you know, their money seriously when it comes to taking money from men. And so, you know, a good example is my friend's, you know, my sister's friend, she graduated from her master's and she never paid for her education. She never paid for her undergrad and she never paid for her master's. And all of this were paid by, you know, various different boyfriends. And then, you know, every gift that they bought her, she would always just sell it and then use that money for her classes. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, clean shit. Yeah, take his money, sell it, and get yourself educated on the sly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing they don't want us to get here, so that's the thing we're thirsty for. We want to get, want to learn, and we want to get power. You can't control that. So yeah, a lot of women take even from their teachers. They make sure that their teachers like give them high grades, and you know, like they would flirt with their teachers, and they're like, you know, make sure I pass all these classes, and then I can move into a different classes, and I can have multiple degrees at once. So yeah, whatever they can, honestly, whatever they can get out of it. I mean, that's the benefit of it being harder for men to pay attention in school, right? Maybe that's why they're so scared because there's like a big controversy in the States right now because obviously men are underperforming in comparison to women at, in, in school, but also like in grade school, but also in higher education. And my reaction to that is like, maybe they're just dumber and less motivated than us. And so in which case, this is a golden opportunity for women to take control. Like, just, let's just start doing the equivalent of what you just said. Like, let's just, you know, tell them one thing and then do another to empower ourselves, like make their pockets hurt. Because it's funny because like you could make the argument that it's like, oh, it's just like one culture, but it's not happening in just one culture. It's happening worldwide. It's a worldwide thing that's happening where women are getting educated by any means necessary, trying to get out from the, under the thumb of men and just absolutely killing them. Right. And not to mention is like, you know, for hyper capitalism, women are good employees because like we're less belligerent <laughs> as employees and a little bit easier to. Well, the other things they can pay us less a lot of times, which I hate, but like a, a little bit easier to integrate into a social system. So it just makes more economic sense to invest in women in most cases. So watching this happen, I'm seeing women kind of come to collective realization, even in these like horribly oppressive systems about how to empower themselves and looking like, oh, I need to get educated. Oh, I need to like make these guys like pay 
me as much as possible up front before I even think about investing them. No, I don't want to have sex with a guy until I'm comfortable, right? Like finding all these women coming to these independent conclusions is actually really encouraging. Yeah. And, you know, if a woman has, uh, does have sex with a man, it's going to hurt her more here because, you know, this man can just go and be like, you know, it was that woman, I'm, you know, I'm a different man and he can just go to a mosque and pretend like he is, you know, a brand new man and everybody's going to worship him. While women can't actually do that. So I don't want them to think that like, you know, I'm against women having sex. I'm really all for it, but it's just here. I don't know. They get shamed if they do and they get like, you know, it affects them worse here. Yeah, that's everywhere. (laughs) But it's like, it's to varying degrees. (laughs) Because I in the Christian culture, same thing where like a guy could be absolutely disgusting and nasty and then go to church on Sunday and be like, oh, forgive me everything. Jesus, wash me with your blood, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> there's like one more heavy kind of thing that I think is important to mention. So there is no law against rape here and there is no law against it. And, you know, the government fights that law actively to ever happen. And when women do get raped, because, you know, women will get raped everywhere in the world so when women get raped here they are forced to marry their rapist and it's basically men made that system and that's how they live and then they marry their victim and then they can also remarry the woman that they want and then that woman is a prisoner basically for the rest of her life so then it incentivizes women to never talk about their rapes because then you would be forced to marry yeah they never talk about it because If they talk about it, then they also get blamed. And it's like, oh, how did you get raped? Where were you? Why would you leave your home? Women are supposed to stay in their homes. So that was your fault, you know? Women get raped by guys in their family. Like, that's always the thing that irritates me the most. Like, you are more likely to be raped by someone who already knows you than a stranger. Also, men are so petty. A lot of them, when they want to marry, they would choose a very successful woman. And then that woman would reject that man for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then these men, this is more common, I think, in the southern part of Somalia. So they send someone to rape that woman. And then, again, because there is no law against it and there is no protection against it. You cannot go to a police officer. You cannot go to a court. You can't do anything about it. So also, this is just more risk for women here. So... That's wild. So even like forcible rape, there's no law. So anything like a guy can just stand in the bush. Wow. Yeah. And that's why you just don't go outside. That's what they say. And they're like, oh, if you stay you know, at your home, nothing is going to happen to you. And you're going to avoid all of these horrible things. And then they charge women so much money for taxis because women are the only people who take taxis everywhere, who take cars everywhere because they can't walk literally anywhere. How easy is it to get out of the country? <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, I'm, guys, it's so difficult. Yeah. But I am actually going out. I'm traveling soon. I got into a master's degree in the UK. So I'm leaving in September. Yay. Oh, yay. So proud. Never go back. Starve the men of women there. I'm so serious. Like, if I had any resources, I would do like an underground railroad for women in situations like this where the country's just kind of fugazi with the men. And it's like, yeah, it's time to start over totally fine like i talked about this a little bit on female political strategy when it comes to like refugee strategies like we're having a little bit of a problem in the u.s right now because of all of the men that we had we brought over from afghanistan wanting to bring their 
scrote ass Afghanistan ways that fucked up their country in the first place. And so there's like a part of me that's like, why do we bring them here? <laughs> like, why? So they can like, in theory, anybody we have that immigrates to the States, like this is why we have citizenship tests and you have to like pledge allegiance and learn about our culture and learn about our laws. America is an idea, right? And so everybody who lives here has to buy into the idea to a certain extent for it to work. But sometimes when we bring in like people from countries where the men have a lot of control, they don't want to live how we live, right? They like the way, like (laughs) they can't see, they can't connect the dots to see like your country sucks because of how you treat the women there. Yes, I have a good example about this. So my uncle traveled and he is like a spoiled, typical Somali man who had everything done for him his entire life. And then he, he goes to the UK and he started working. And I remember him calling my mom, complaining. And he was like, there's a woman. My boss is a woman. And he was so angry about it. And I was so happy. If you're going to be so mad about a woman being your boss, why did you want to go to that country so bad? You know, like, it's so stupid. Like, if you want to oppress women, stay here. <laughs> Let us Right. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the, like, go back to your country episode. But if you're going to be like, if you're just going to come to other countries and try to subjugate the women there, we don't want to. Right. Like, stay in your scrot ass country where you can, like, pretend how great you are because you have all this power over powerless women. And then just keep cutting off your nose to spite your face because you won't grow up and like treat women as human beings. Exactly. I agree. If you don't like the laws, then don't go and don't complain about it because there are already countries you've made exactly how you want it to be and you've already set it up. Yeah, and it fucking sucks and it's your own fault. And even Jesus said like in the Bible, obey the law of the land. So if the law of the land is more liberal, then you should obey that. Just saying. I'm never going to claim we're perfect over here in the States, but I mean, at least on paper, we have laws, ideals that we're working towards. If you're here, you need to be doing that. It's a functional country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to mention one more point about uh, this. I think this is my last point of importance because after this, I'm done. So a lot of grown up men, you know, there's a very large diaspora. You know, there's a lot of Somali people in different countries, especially in the UK, you know, in Minnesota, in Canada, and in different European countries. So I know very much about the ones in the UK, because I heard a lot more about those. So what they do is the women, the Somali women who travel, they integrate into society, they start working, and then they are in a society and in a country where they don't literally have to be terrified of, you know, getting raped or murdered, you know, in daylight. So they end up thriving, and they end up you know, getting more education and they get, you know, take advantage of all of these amazing opportunities that they can find in these countries. But a lot of men crash and they hit, like, you know, they feel everything because they're so used to that old system that, you know, they made. So what they do is they can't marry, you know, other Somali women in the UK, for example. What they do is they become failures. They come back to Somalia and they search for underage young and educated girls from the villages so they can control and practice their power over them. Yeah, they do the incel plan. What are they called again? Sex pats and um a passport bros. Version yeah. of passport bros. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it is like the more I talk to women from different countries, the more I realize like, oh, it's they're all the same. <laughs> they all do the same shit. 
And this is like in a perfect example where, oh, they go to a country where women have like, you know, a modicum more rights from the place that they are. And they're like, the women here are too feminist. Or even in their own country, women just like, hey, could you not cut off our vaginas? The women here are too feminist. I'm going to go to another country. And like, you know, or try to get a girl who's like five and make her marry me, uh, make her promise to marry me when she's like 13. It's just the same oppressive tactics over and over and over again. And I think you mentioned that they were even scamming the UN, sorry, in our pre-conversation. Can we talk about that story? Okay. So we have many NGOs here. You know, I don't want to mention them by name, but they're all like very big ones. They are like, you know, you guys would know them, especially Savannah would know them, you know, save the children from, I think, the UK and, you know, all these big ones. So there are many, many of them here. And what they do is they pay families money or they give them, you know, food such as, you know, like, you know, they would give them a monthly worth amount of food. And the condition would be send one of your daughters to school and you shall get all of these benefits. And what they do is they send their sons instead of, you know, the daughters they, they keep the girls at home. They make the girls do domestic work for them, you know, do the chores and all of these things. And they take these, you know, money and keep this food and stuff to themselves. So scamming the charities. This is the problem. So that's why I even asked at the top of the episode, like, what can we really do? Because sometimes, I mean, I think a lot of Westerners in good faith, like they hear these stories, their heart bleeds, and they're like, we want to support women in these other countries. And then you find out stuff like this, that like, Oh, okay, yeah, you can send money to save the children, but then the scrotes in the country are going to like take the money and be like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll send my daughter to school. And then that never actually happens. And they spend it on drugs and stuff. <laughs> yes, they spend it on drugs. Exactly. Oh, my God. You know this place. <laughs> Burn the whole country. It's beyond help. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's not. <laughs> I just really feel like if I had any connections to that world, I would start to do like an international women's bill of rights. And it would be like declaring blanket amnesty for any woman who wants to emigrate out of an oppressive country. Like you can just like, you should just be able to get up and leave and just be like, yeah, fuck those guys. Because I feel like what's holding a lot of women back is either like they really buy into the patriarchy and they want to be like the Aunt Lydia's of it, or they know it's messed up, but they can't leave, right? There are so many mechanisms against them having the ability to do it. I'm really pro-immigration myself, but I feel like just for women at this point, like <laughs> I feel like when men emigrate, it's like it's for sexual exploitation more often than not, or they want to bring their scrot ass ways to another country and like abuse the women there. So I'm like, I'm anti-male immigration specifically, <laughs> but <laughs> but like female immigration is fine. Like you can only bring men in if they're like your children, right? And like, so there's still some hope for them. <laughs> Even that one is still, you know, like questionable, but still. <laughs> like if they grow up Western, like, you know, you, not even just Western, but you bring them to a school. Because I don't want to say like blanket or if they grow up Western, they're not going to be as grown because that's obviously not the case. And then they end up, you know, like weirdos as well. <laughs> they end up incels like uh, crying online on the on like reddit yeah they become like uh, they start making all of these sex bots and they you know are all like porn addicts <laughs> but, but essentially but essentially like because we have like more freedom in the u.s and the western world in general like they can go be gross on their own and we don't have to interact or touch them or don't have to marry them to do anything which is like a vastly better turn of events than being like oh they're gross and porn addicted and entitled but we have to marry one because otherwise we literally can't support ourselves or exist yeah our society just won't let you live 
everybody's going to be like, why is your daughter not married? Oh, or why are they not married? Or what's wrong with them? And then eventually they push it against you so that the society, like Savannah said, society would say, well, what is wrong with this woman for not getting married? Instead of thinking, are there any normal men for her to marry? Yeah, I think those guys' genes should die with them. That's the thing. So, and the only way we can do that is if we refuse to marry them or remove, and eventually those guys will die out. And the guys we want, the handsome, nice guys that we've vetted, get married to them, have 17 kids, and start populating the earth with like much better men than have been in the past. That's why I'm pro abortion. I'm not even pro choice. I'm literally pro abortion in the sense that I feel like you should be able to have an abortion just because you don't want to have a guy's kid. Like, because you think, no, I don't think you should carry on to the next generation. I just think I have a problem with you in general, or if you don't want to be a parent, et cetera. And I think, you know, like the Christians very intuitively understand this because like they have these movements uh, where they have these, like the Mormons especially have these massive families. The Catholics have these massive families where they, you know, they make birth control a sin. And it's about like making sure we populate the earth with their scrot ass ideas. And I feel like we need to create the opposite of that. I think we need women getting empowered, finding men who are good fathers, husbands, and are good to them and breeding them so that we can have better, a better future. Uh, because like all around the world for the past, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, um, however long civilization has been for where you are. It's been like just scrody men running around, throwing crap at each other, oppressing women and forcing us to have kids against our will. So we're going to try to correct that. And men are fighting it. They're fighting in the States. They're trying to get rid of abortion laws. They're trying to get rid of birth control. They're doing a lot of stuff right now, but it's for the greater good. There's like measurable, tangible health of society improves when women have the ability to choose. So I hope a lot of this episode illustrates why. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> feel nothing and take everything definitely it just ended up being everything. so dark <laughs> i'm so glad you came on here to talk about this maya we put out a call to action because we knew we had some listeners from all over the world who had life experiences that we can't even fathom right so i think having this and understanding that even in situations that are really really dire i guess for women like you can find ways to empower yourself and you shouldn't feel bad like understand like there's a worldwide coalition of women who are behind whatever you do we defend women's wrongs over here so (laughs) even if it's like never feel bad because the alternative is your slavery right and i would just love you know all of the listeners you know all these women from you know western countries to honestly prioritize their education as much as they can because it is something you only know what it means when you see people fighting so hard against you getting it, you know, because I feel like, you know, they want women to be so distracted with like, you know, all these crazy surgeries and, you know, like fitting the beauty standards and all this meaningless shit. And the true power lies in, you know, like financial stability, education, health, all of that good stuff. Yeah, I'll throw the Rad Femmes some kudos here because like, even though I always... I always talk about how sometimes I feel like they overfocus on the grooming aspect. The truth of the matter is, is like, let's say we all stopped grooming and just all decided to prioritize our education. You mean, do you think men are going to stop trying to have sex with us? No, of course not. Like, we could be absolutely fucking gross, like never bathe and be nasty or whatever, and they'll take what they can get. So yes, and prioritize your education, be attractive enough to where you feel comfortable and you can, you know, attract the men that you want. Be healthy, be strong learn speak different languages (laughs) exactly ultimately like understand that men are choosing beggars like the vast majority of men are choosing beggars and they know this that's why they're on the jordan peterson and um andrew tate right 
talking about like the 80-20 rule and all this stuff because they're all choosing beggars. And they're terrified that we'll figure it out and we'll just start making demands. So just, you know, leverage the power you have for wherever you are and just know that we support you. (laughs) We support you here on the FDS pod. Do what you got to do to get a little bit of power or a lot of bit of power wherever you are. Any closing remarks? (laughs) No, thank you so much. I'm like Maya for your perspective and for validating some of the, I know Africa is a massive continent it's not a country like some americans like to think but there are (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's 52 different countries and none of them are similar you know and still there is that you know solidarity that they have they all just hate women in it right (laughs) 52 countries and they all hate women exactly yeah that's it basically well so nice talking to you guys (laughs) thank you maya so much Thank you so much for coming on. So that is our show. Check us out on Twitter at femdatstrat and our weekly bonus content. And if you want to discuss this with us on Discord, we would love to. I think this was a great episode. Uh, check us out at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy or on our Instagram at underscore the female dating strategy or our website, the female dating strategy.com and check out the forum to discuss this episode. Thanks for listening, queens. And for all of those quotes, I hope you get tuberculosis and die. Die mad. See y'all next week. (laughs) Bye. 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 Bye.